But I'd like us to turn once again to <coughs> Matthew chapter 13, and reading at verse 24. Matthew 13 and verse 24. <coughs> and he put another parable before them, saying, The kingdom of heaven may be compared to a man who sowed good seed in his field, but while his men were sleeping, his enemy came and sowed weeds among the wheat and went away. Especially words there in verse 24. Kingdom of heaven may be compared to a man who sowed good seed in his field. All these parables in Matthew chapter 13 are kingdom parables. Again and again the Lord says the kingdom of heaven is like. And here we have this parable here where he says the kingdom of heaven may be compared. We would think that whenever good was done in this world that we would receive good back in return. Uh, but that's obviously not the case. More often than not, when good is done, evil is returned for good. And nothing of spiritual significance has ever been achieved really in the world, in the spiritual world, without satanic opposition. In the world, there are those who oppose the scriptures as those who are human beings, those whose lives are not in accord with God's words and God's commandments, and so they oppose the scriptures. They oppose what is taught in God's word. But there is a, an overarching wickedness and evil which surrounds all those who rebel against God and against Christ. Satan himself, because he is the chief enemy of souls. He is the one who brings us into subjection to himself and causes us to rebel against God and his commandments. We're told in the epistle of John that if we love God, then we keep his commandments. Now the devil will do everything in his power to, to try and overcome that link. We profess to love God, but yet he will encourage us again and again to, to disobey God's commandments. And we feel like we're like the Apostle Paul in Romans chapter 7. For we know that the law is spiritual, but I am carnal, sold under sin. With my mind I serve the law of God, with my members I, saw, I serve the law of sin. The things that I would do, I do not the things that I would not do, those are the things I do. And Paul has to cry almost in, in desperation, who will deliver me from this body of death? Who will deliver me from the members of my body rebelling against the law of God? And he can cry out in exaltation, I thank God, through our Lord Jesus Christ. And so this battle continues throughout the endless ages until we reach the time of the Lord's second coming. 
not only the flesh warring against the spirit and the spirit against the flesh but also the powers of darkness warring against everything that is good trying to destroy the light and all that light itself means to the Lord's people that's why the Bible warns us that the devil is like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour not simply injure us but completely destroy us as though we never existed Lord Jesus Christ in his high priestly prayer asks as his father to keep us keep those whom you have given me through your holy name and we need to be kept because we have this adversary this adversary the devil who wants to totally destroy the witness of Christ and so we are dependent for all our defenses upon God himself we are dependent because as the beneficiaries of justification, adoption and sanctification God gives us certain benefits he gives us the assurance of his love he gives us peace of conscience he gives us joy in the Holy Spirit increase of grace and perseverance and these are benefits God gives to his people to enable them to walk in this world to walk in the light as God himself is that light and to have fellowship with him and with one another and since we have such an enemy the Lord continually warns us against this strategy in these parables all the way through Matthew chapter 13 all the parables speak about the devil's influence over the Lord's people not influence eternally but influence not to do good that warfare I was talking about there that Paul had in Romans chapter 7 the parable of the good seed and the tares is easy to understand because the Lord himself explains it to us if we go to I think it's verse 37 we find here the Lord saying the one who sows the good seed is the son of man Jesus Christ himself the field is the world the good seed is the sons of the kingdom the weeds are the sons of the evil one the enemy who sowed the, the, the weeds is the devil the harvest at the close of the age and the reapers are the angels and just as the weeds are gathered and burned with fire so will it be at the close of this age so we have there an explanation of what this parable means it's one thing to know what the Lord says the parable means to something else to try and apply that to our own situation as to how we should relate to the meaning of this parable and how it relates to us in our everyday lives when we hear the field is the world we have to remember that the kingdom of God isn't the world in general if you think back to the passage in John 3.16 for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him the son shall not perish 
but have everlasting life. So it's the world that's being talked about here. You have to take as those who believe in the world. The believers in the world. And as we go through this parable, we'll see how that context puts on flesh and how we can understand what is being said here. So the world in this passage really means those who believe. And as the Lord tells the story, he stresses what the devil does after the Son of Man plants his good seed in this world. What the devil does after he brings those who have not been believing in the world to be believers in the world. And what the devil does to try and make counterfeit believers by his actions. So what the Lord is saying is this. The devil is going to raise up people so like Christians, but not Christians, but even the servants of righteousness, the ministers of God, will not be able to detect them. Will not be able to, to see what the true difference is. They will be known at the end of the age, but in the world in which we live, there will always be counterfeit Christians. And so, this parable suggests to us a few things. But just to, uh, to look again at this, this aspect of the devil raising up those soul-like Christians. He plants people in the church who eventually will deny the faith. And as John, in this epistle, chapter 2, I think, says... They went out, they are not of us because they went out from us. And therefore we know that they are not of us. Because the fruit of their lives is that they no longer believe, they no longer trust in the Lord Jesus Christ, they no longer worship. At one time they did, and we thought they were real bona fide Christians, but no longer. They went out from us because they were not of us, they were not born again, they were not believers, they were coming into the church for some sort of benefit they thought would accrue to them by, by joining the church. In New Testament times that would not have been true because anyone who joined the church then would have been persecuted. But in the past century, in some places, belonging to a church has its own benefits. People treat you differently. You are looked upon as pillars of society. And as such, you belong to a church. You join a membership, and somehow people look on you in a different way. But as such, perhaps you're counterfeit. Perhaps as such, you're not really receiving and resting upon Christ alone for salvation. You're resting upon what you are, what you are doing, what you have done, and what you hope will accrue to your benefit by living an upright and moral life. So what was I saying here about the things that are suggested here? The devil is planting his servants among true Christians. And so we must always be on our guard. That's why 
you have an eldership of the church in Presbyterian churches. Some people might want to come and join in membership and the eldership will discuss among themselves. They will discover what sort of lives people have been living, whether they've been shown an interest in the church and whether their lives actually demonstrate that interest or whether it's just something that is being done for some conceived benefit. But the devil is planting his servants among the true church and amongst the true Christians. And we shouldn't be surprised if the devil seed appears in the most unexpected places. We're told that the devil himself can appear as an angel of light. We're told that his servants as servants as of righteousness, ministers. There is a, a phrase that the Americans use that is very catchy and has its own truth. If you're looking for the devil, don't forget to look in the pulpit. We know that in the case of Judas Iscariot. There was one of the Lord's closest associates, and yet he denied, he apostatized, uh, or went away. And so we see here uh, that the devil is planting his servants among true Christians to try and destroy the church of God. Then secondly, the mixed nature of the Christian church is no reason why we shouldn't come into the church of Christ. Very often, people looking on the outside and those perhaps who are self-righteous would say, about coming in to join the church, the church is full of hypocrites. Well, the church is full of sinners. Christ came into this world not to seek the righteous, but the unrighteous, the ungodly and the sinner. The accusation, accusation that the uh, Pharisees leveled at the Lord Jesus Christ was he's the friend of publicans and sinners, the outcast of society. And one of the, the great assurances that we are beginning to travel the right road is that we are convicted of what we are. We recognize ourselves as sinning against God in thought and word and deed. At one time it never bothered us. We thought perhaps we were pillars of society. We were doing everything right. We were no worse than anybody else and so we thought we would be acceptable even in the church. And yet the Lord says, no. We have to examine ourselves to see if we are of the faith whether we are true Christians. Now the fact that some people might say they won't join a church because it's full of hypocrites is in fact itself a judgmental and a hypocritical statement. And we shouldn't at any time lay any credence to, to such a statement. There are deeper reasons why people stay away from the church, why unbelievers won't join the church for selfish reasons. They don't want to deny themselves any of the experiences that the world has, that even when the gospel might 
touch their souls. Perhaps during communion seasons, as very often we are touched by the messages that we hear. Yet, for some reason, we don't want to. We don't find any benefit to ourselves, and so we stay on the outside, looking for the fulfilment of the here and now, and not looking for the at the hereafter. The here and now is something that passes with the using. Uh, I think it's Isaiah who talks about the fact that uh, at morn the, the grass flourishes and that even it's cut down. Uh, the psalmist has it in those same words. If you go into a meadow in the spring, in a few short months, you will see the grass full of flowers, everything growing and abundant. In a very short space of time, in fact, here it would take one gale. Salt spray on, on the matter, and it's gone. And so, everything is uh, for a short time. But in this world, for a very short time. We're here one day, and we're gone the next. You yourselves have known members of the congregation being removed from you by death and thrown away. Day after day, uh, we see lights going out in homes and, and families bereft of those whom they've loved. So, as we try and discover the, the deeper reasons why unbelievers won't believe, we have to recognize in ourselves that the Christian church is not a perfect church. There's much in us uh, that careful scrutiny would discover that we are not four square, we're not above suspicion, we're not as those whose, whose lives are above suspicion. But Christ came to call sinners. Rabbi Duncan one time at a communion service saw a woman very convicted of her own sin and wanting to push the elements away from her. And he said to her, take it woman, it's for sinners. And so for all who are sinners in Christ, for all those who love the Lord Jesus Christ, for all those who are perhaps still doubting and fearful it's for sinners. The table is for sinners. Any who love the Lord and are fearful of, of making or taking that step, remember the table is for sinners. And if you love the Lord, that is your place. And we pray that in these days that lie ahead, the Lord will bring you a token for good in your own souls. And as you hear different questions as you hear different sermons, different voices bringing to you the gospel with different accents. So you will hear and your souls will live. And then just the third thing that these parables suggest is that no one should take any comfort in their sin. Remember, again, the passage of the Lord's table, that we are to examine ourselves 
to see that we are of the faith, we are to examine ourselves to whether we are walking circumspectly, whether we are walking in accordance with the law of God, in accordance with the precepts that we have learnt. The church isn't pure, and we can't always judge. As careful as the scrutiny might be uh, by the elders of the church, which is their task, there will always be wheat and tares in the church of Christ. But the harvest is coming, and then the wheat will be gathered into the barns, and the tares will be burnt. The day is coming when the separation will be made and there will be sheep on the one side and goats on the other. But at a human level, that's not our domain. We are to encourage people to seek the Lord while he is to be found and to call upon him while he is near. And he's never so near as when he's passing by in his word, when you gather together, especially at communion seasons, when you hear any tokens of good from those who will come to preach to you. So we should continually examine ourselves whether we're of the faith, whether we're two children or not, making our calling and election sure. It struck me really as I was reading this evening what the Apostle there means by those words. Make your calling and your election sure. But if you practice these qualities, you will never fall. So what does he mean if you practice these qualities? The qualities that he's talking about is add to your faith, virtue and virtue knowledge. And knowledge, self-control and self-control, steadfastness. Steadfastness, godliness, godly brotherly kindness, brotherly kindness, love. Faith is only the first step on the road of salvation. It is a bare faith. Or as James says, show me your faith without your works and I will show you my faith by my works. And he quotes two instances. Abraham believed God and it was accounted to him for righteousness. And the harlot Rahab, who had the spies. These were works showing, in Abraham's case, that he believed and trusted in God and God blessed him for it. In the harlot's case, there was a work that she did. She did a work to prosper. She was knew that God was going to be her God and she wanted to be on his side and so she developed that in what she did. And so making your calling and election sure is adding to your faith. Don't let it be a bare faith. Make it a faith that is continually being added to. Grow in the grace and in the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. And then we come to these next two parables uh, that we read there. It's very interesting what's happening here. The parable of the mustard seed and the parable of the leaven. 
And the parable of the mustard seed and the parable of the leaven are actually in between the parable that the Lord has begun to tell you about the good seed and the enemy who sowed wheat and the explanation of them. So one thing we have to see here is that throughout the whole chapter the Lord is giving us an explanation of the devil's work in his kingdom. The devil's opposition to the growth of his kingdom. And these two parables, instead of being examples of growth in the Lord's kingdom, you talk about a mustard seed which is the smallest and becomes a big tree and, and birds come there, it's not as it first seems, and we'll see that in a minute. The same with the leaven. The leaven, which is once first put into dough, leavens the whole lump. Again, it's not as it seems, and, and we'll see that as we go through it. These two parables, in fact, explain each other. There's an ongoing discussion, really, about what they mean. Many see these parables, we take the first one, for instance, there with the, we take both of them together, the tree. And here is God coming with his blessing, and he's going such a blessing that the, that the mustard seed grows and prospers, and, and everyone comes and, and nestles under that, and the, and the leaven as well. It, it grows, the world begins to work, and it grows and it be, more and more. Others will say, oh, that's not what's saying here. Others will say, this is really the work of evil being spread through the church by what the devil is doing and as you already guessed I prefer the second explanation of what's being said here it's the devil who's working in the church why should the Lord when he's talking about the work of the devil of the enemy planting seed suddenly bring in two parables which total are in total opposition to what he's trying to teach here in this parable about the good seed and the enemy of souls, the enemy who planted the wheat or, or the tares, weeds among the wheat. Many say the parables describe Christianity's expansion and growth. The yeast is explained as the Lord coming and beginning his work and the whole world is transformed by that work. And we know that is not the case experimentally. That's just not what happens. Others, by looking at the context of the parables, what I'm trying to do here this evening, say they describe the progress of evil in the world. Not good. And so looking at these parables in their context, something very interesting is seen here. In the first parable of the mustard seed, the growth of the mustard seed into a tree is abnormal. It grows into a bush. A mustard seed doesn't grow into a tree. And the people who were hearing this parable being told would know that. If we were farmers, if we, if we were engaged in planting mustard and, and reaping it or, or whatever they, they did with it in the Middle East. The mustard seed does not grow into a tree. It 
becomes a bush. And so we hear something abnormal is happening. And something else. The birds who rest in the tree and the branches of that tree have already been identified in this very chapter as the agents of the devil. Remember the sower and the soils, or the sower and the seed? The one that falls on stony ground, the birds come immediately and pluck away that which has been planted. The devil comes, perhaps during the service, and plucks away your thoughts, bring other thoughts to your mind. And the Lord even says that in his explanation of the, the parable. The parable of the sower explained there in verse 18 onwards. When anyone hears the word of God and does not understand it, the evil one comes, the birds, and snatches away what has been sown in the heart. This is that which was sown along the path. So the birds have already been identified as workers of evil. The Lord's not going to change that whole interpretation around and try and make it mean something else here in these two parables. And then also uh, there is the connection of the parable of yeast or leaven. The parable of yeast just enforces the presence of evil. Why do I say that? Well, throughout the Old Testament, yeast or leaven is thought of as something to be avoided. In the festivals of the Old Testament, a householder was to search every nook and cranny, take a candle or a light and to go everywhere and take out the leaven out of the house and throw it away. Paul talks about purging out the old leaven and becoming a new lump. And again, it's not something that the Lord is going to do. He's not going to contradict the teaching of the Old Testament to say that leaven, which was thought of as bad in the Old Testament, the Lord's not going to say, well, it's not really bad, it's really something good. The Lord's not going to do that in his teaching. He always follows up the Old Testament with enforcing what is taught there. Come not to destroy the law and the prophets, but to fulfill them. To make them meaningful in our lives and the explanation of how uh, we should live. So at feast times and those times when they were to come before the Lord, the leaven was to be searched out and thrown away. And so it's almost impossible to see the Lord using a traditional symbol of evil and meaning something good to come out of it. It's also significant uh, that these two parables, the mustard seed and the yeast, are between the parable of the good seed and that explanation, as I just said. The parable of the good seed and the sower, the enemy who sowed the weeds, shows a distinct enmity of the evil one against 
the Lord and his people. As he said in the explanation, the one who sows the, the good seed is the son of man. The one who sows the weeds is the devil. And this conflict goes on. And so he, he's saying here, this conflict will continue unendingly and until the second coming. And so here we have the Lord trying to teach those who were there at this time. One of the parables of the kingdom. Remember there are seven. And then this three are taken together. All parables of the kingdom. All teaching us how we should relate to that kingdom. How we should try to make progress in that kingdom. And then just finally. As Christians we're warned not only against the devil mixing with his own people with the church but also the blending of evil into the lives of believers Paul tells us to depart from every appearance of evil and yet today the evangelical church and the more exciting branches of Christianity have started to reach out into activities and styles of worship and <coughs> interests that have not been seen down through the ages as that which is conducive to worshipping God in spirit and in truth. And so when Paul tells us here to depart from every appearance of evil, he's telling us that the church can become secular very quickly. Church that's dominated by the precepts of the world. In the world's wisdom. Not seeking the wisdom of God from the word of God, but the world's wisdom. Where we seek something novel something new, something exciting. The world theology. Some months ago now that there was a discussion taking place in Edinburgh between someone from the Free Church and someone from the Church of Scotland and it was about the atonement. And the Church of Scotland were totally denying the atonement and its meaning for the Christian life. And the man from the Free Church was trying to say without the atonement there's no Christianity, there's no hope. You're developing uh, a message of no hope. And that's what a secular church is. It, it denies the wisdom of God and the majesty of God. The foolishness of preaching is what a secular church denies. The foolishness of the cross. And it also uses the world's agenda and the world's methods to achieve growth and increase. Very often we, we confuse growth with spirituality and in most circumstances it's the other way around. Spirituality, true spirituality separates the wheat from the chaff. And we don't get increase in large numbers except at times of revival when the Lord is working. What we usually get is a thinning out of those who are in church. Numbers uh, do not 
always equate to spirituality. And so you've got to stop looking to the world's media and the world's money and the world's methods to try and grow our churches. As Christians, we're warned to be on our guard against the wiles of the devil. Because leaven and yeast, once it begins to work, cannot be eradicated. You cannot even say it cannot be easily eradicated. I'm saying it cannot be eradicated. Once a little leaven enters the lump, the whole will eventually be leavened. In our Christian lives, uh, there is hope, as we're told to war against the flesh. The spirit warring against the flesh, and the flesh against the spirit, for the one is contrary to the other. Evil will continue to work in the church until the return of the Lord at his second coming. As individuals, we're told to examine ourselves, to be in our guard, and to be prayerful and watchful. That's what the disciples were told in the garden. Watch and pray with me. Well, that's what the Lord wants us to do. Watch and pray. And so the devil is active. The leaven of the Pharisees and Herod will work. But individually, we're warned by Paul to purge out the old leaven from our lives. Crucify the flesh and the deeds of the flesh. And so walk holily, walk justly, walk with God. Walk so that we seek a well done, good and faithful servant from the lips of our Lord. And as we purge out that leaven, maybe each one of us become a new lump. Without the leaven, without that which would bring shame on the Lord's name and on the Lord's cause. And although we're warned, in this world you will know tribulation. Christ says, but I have overcome the world. Let us rest in Christ. Let us know that He is our Lord, our protector. He is the one who is to be our guide. He is the one who will show us the way. Let us then walk in the way and be as His children of grace. Let us then conclude our worship singing to God's praise in Psalm 119. Psalm 119. Find that on page four hundred and two, verse thirty three. Number one nine, verse thirty three on page four hundred and two. Teach me, O Lord, the perfect way of thy precepts divine, to observe it to the end, I shall my heart incline. To the end of the verse marked thirty seven, that's four stanzas. God's praise.
now may grace, mercy, and peace. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, one God, who rest on you and abide in you now and always. Amen.